You're listening to the Liberty Grace Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit libertygrace.ca. How would you like to be called a minor player? I, it depends, I guess, what the, you know, if it's a bad thing, maybe it's a good thing that you're a minor player. Uh, one time I was speaking about a professor of mine who bailed out a school in a period of crisis, and I said he played a major role in the financial collapse of the school, meaning I meant positively, but everyone took it negatively. So, you know, if, if maybe it's a minor thing. If it's a major problem, maybe it's good that you're a minor player. But if I say that you're minor, that means it's kind of dismissive. Uh, athletes get sent down to the minors. That's not a good thing. Actors get minor parts in uh, shows. We refer to underage people as what? Minors. And if you're a minor, what does that mean? You don't get to make decisions for yourself. You're not that important. You're just a minor. We would probably get upset if you were just called a minor person. If somebody said you were a minor player at work on the work team. We don't like to be minor. We kind of like to be uh, major players. Uh, we like to play a big role. And so it's easy when we get to the Bible to think that minor prophets means unimportant prophets. That you're looking at people like Micah, or last week, Amos, they're called minor prophets, and you're kind of like, okay, that means they're unimportant prophets. They don't have anything to say to us, at least that important. They're just minor. And you couldn't be, I couldn't be more wrong if you say that. We're working through the Bible this year, uh, doing this crazy thing of uh, J- January the 1st, uh, Genesis 1, and uh, end of the year, God willing, I don't know what day it is, but December 31st, we'll have worked through the whole Bible. I've never done this before. Has anybody ever done this before? Preached through the whole Bible in a year and read through the Bible as a church. And we're in the dog days of summer now, and we're in the dog days of the Bible right now. We are in the hard part. This is the middle. This is the uh, kind of like when you hit the dip. There's a few dips when you read the Bible, and this is one of them. Uh, What's happened so far? Well, I'm going to just catch you up. I try to do this every week super quick. God made the world good. We wrecked it. God launched a rescue plan. He chose a nation. They screwed up. And we're right in the middle of them screwing up over and over again. Like, this is the part where you're like, God's plan is not working. God has picked these people, and they're continually messing up. They are not part of the solution. And around this time, God sent a series of prophets to them. And we call them major prophets and minor prophets. You have the major ones, uh, and if you've studied the Bible, if you flip open randomly to your uh, Old Testament, chances are you'll land in the Psalms, which is poetry, but if you land on a prophet, the major ones, chances are you'll hit Isaiah or Jeremiah, Uh, you'll probably hit Ezekiel or Daniel. These are the major prophets. Lamentations uh, is a small one, but it's attached to Jeremiah, so it's included in the major ones. Those are the major prophets. So... Picture one day getting to heaven, and there's a lineup, and a big sign up there, major prophets, and you're shaking like a reception. This is not going to happen, but I'm picturing it like Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, like good to meet you, Daniel, Ezekiel. And then you look over there, and there's a sign that says minor prophets. And you turn to your, whoever is with you, and you're like, we got the major ones, like can we just skip the minor ones and go get our seat? You have the minor ones. And if you case you think the minor ones just means like these are the really important ones and these are kind of like the B team. This is like 
the, I don't know, these are the juniors, right? These guys don't matter. That's not what minor prophets mean. Minor prophets simply mean they're shorter. Minor prophets means like Isaiah's on and on and on. It's big. Minor prophets just means they're short. But there's a punch to their message. Why should we pay attention to them? Because they have so much to say to us today. I can't believe when you look at the, the minor prophets, like, I think a crowd in Liberty Village in downtown Toronto, I think this is going to resonate with us a lot today. And so I want to look at uh, one of them. Uh, we're in that part of the Bible, that part of the story, where a guy calls Micah comes along. And his message is small. It's only seven chapters. It's only 105 verses. Doesn't take long to read. And yet we're going to see that mine, Micah's minor book has a major message for us that still speaks to us today. So who is Micah? We actually don't know that much about him. In chapter one, we learn he's from Moresheth, which is 40 kilometers southwest uh, of Jerusalem. We read kind of when he served. Uh, that means 2,700 years ago, basically. The interesting thing about him, you remember the kingdoms are divided, so you've got Judah to the south, Israel to the north, and this guy speaks to both of them. So he's got a message not just for Judah. Israel up to the north was a bit worse than Judah, but both were bad. He's got a message for both of them, so he's speaking to all of God's people. And I think he's got a message for us today as well. So I want to summarize this message. If you're by the way, if you are not reading through the Bible chronologically with us this year, I don't know if there's any Bibles back there. It's not too late. Like, you're halfway through. It's still okay to join halfway through and pick up from here. But this week, hopefully some of you will be reading Micah. Here's the three messages that Micah wants us to know. So here's the first one. God cares. God cares. What does God care about? God cares about oppression. God cares about injustice. God cares about those that the world has forgotten and overlooked. Does God really care about the poor? Do you ever ask yourself that? Does God care about the poor? When you pass somebody on the street and uh, they're poor, or last week we had somebody come after the service looking for help, and uh, when you meet problems, deep people, uh, like people with experiencing deep problems and you don't know the answers, does God care? When you read the news, we're driving home from London today, and Char opened the news in the car, and uh, about 30 seconds later closed it and said, there's nothing that depresses me more than the news. When you read about the 110 million people who are refugees and asylum seekers and internationally displaced persons around the world, when you think about that, how many is, I don't know how many 110 million is, I can't comprehend that. It's enough to fill Rogers Center 2,200 times. Does God care about that? Does God care about those people who have no home? Closer to home, we see issues of injustice and poverty in Canada. Canada is one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Uh, it has got more fresh water than almost any country in the world. And that's why I was surprised in one of the churches I served, like, what do you do for a living? Well, I go to Northern Ontario. Well, what do you do in Northern Ontario? Well, up there, they don't have, uh, in 90 reserves, they don't have clean water in 90 reserves in the most, one of the richest countries with the most water in the world. There's no clean water for these people. Can you imagine not having clean water? Can you imagine having to boil water every time you wanted to brush your teeth or have a drink? Or even closer to home, 
I went to the United Way website this week. I read about food insecurity here in Toronto and homelessness and mental illness. And uh, I read about the growing number of poor Toronto neighborhoods that is, it, the number is going. The gap is increasing. It's not going down. It's going up. Does God care about this? I live in a condo. I don't have, uh, you know, like, like you, I've got money worries. I worry about the prices going up. But I, I'm kind of okay, right? Does God care about those who aren't doing okay? And Micah answers with a resounding yes. God cares. God cares a lot. These people in Micah, they're supposedly God's people, but it's hard to tell. They are uh, corrupt. Uh, murder is widespread. Uh, the rulers are corrupt. Justice is perverted, as we're going to see uh, through bribery. The rich are doing really well, and the poor are just ignored. Does God care? The rot has gotten so bad that people can't trust each other, not even their spouses, and the family has disintegrated. And Micah turns to them, and he makes two particular allegations, and he says, here's the first. You guys who are doing well, you've gotten rich through theft and greed. The reason that you're rich and these people are not rich is not because you've worked hard. It's because you've exploited the system. You've, he says in Micah 2.2, 2, to the rich, they covet fields and seize them. They go by somebody's field and they're like, that is a nice field. Well, that belongs to so-and-so. I can get it. I've got power. I've got connections. I can get it. They covet fields. They seize them illegally. And houses, they take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man and in his inheritance. It is not good when leaders abuse their power and exploit the poor. And the other accusation is this, the main accusation he makes in chapter 3, that even the system has become corrupt. So it's not just corrupt individuals. There is a corrupt system that's developed. And he says in chapter 3, verse 9, and hear this, this is to the rulers. This is why it's really bad. This is why God has this message. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, the rulers of the house of Israel. So Israel and Judah, both of you, you guys are leaders, I'm speaking to you, who detest justice. They're the leaders. If anybody should be standing for justice, it's the leaders. You, they detest justice. They make crooked all that's straight. Something straight, and they find a way to, to corrupt it, to make it crooked instead. They build Zion with blood, the city of David, they're building it, but they're building it with blood. And Jerusalem with iniquity, it, its heads give judgment for a bribe. The priests, the, the, the priests, the judges, when a case has come before them, it's not judged fairly. It's judged with who can pay them off. It's priests teach for a price. Priests for hire. Priests that can distort even God's word. Like, slip me a little. I'll slip it in my pocket. I'll do what you want. Even the priests. It's prophets practice divination for money. It is one thing to face a corrupt leader. It's another thing to face a corrupt system. When, I don't know if you've had that feeling of powerlessness, where you are appealing for help, and you look for justice, and instead of finding justice, you find corruption. When you stand before a court, and you're wrongly accused. I spoke to somebody last night, and uh, he's been hauled before court. His employer has basically said, we're in the right, but we're going to settle because that's the easiest way to do it. And he's like, no, I want justice to be done. And it's like, it has got nothing to do with justice. It's got everything to do with we don't want to bankrupt ourselves with lawyer's fees. Like, that's, I know that's not exactly what Micah is talking about, 
But that feeling of justice is not being done. Like, you can't win. It's not a fair game. It's not a level playing field. If you are poor and powerless, you are being exploited, and there's nowhere to turn because the system is corrupt. And that's why Micah says these words. By the way, I want to highlight here, whose side is God on? God is on the side of the poor. And that's something to consider. I'm not saying God is against the rich. There's nothing in the Bible that teaches that being rich is wrong. And that's really good news because by the world standards, most of us here are rich, unbelievably rich, according to the world standards. Nothing wrong with being rich. But when poor being exploited, guess whose side God is on? God is on the side of those who are being exploited and not on the side of the exploiters. And that's why he says in Micah 6:8 words that mean a lot to a lot of people today still. He has showed you, O man, what is good. In this context of corruption, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. What has God called God's people to do? To do justice, to care about issues of justice in this world, uh, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. I've quoted James Montgomery Boyce a number of times. He was pastor of uh, a very solid biblical church in downtown Philadelphia, a church that was renowned for its Bible teaching. He was a solid Bible teacher. And when he was working through the book of Micah, he said he was, as he was preaching through it, and a lot of preachers don't preach through this book, but he said this as he was preaching through it, a very solid downtown church. He said, it is very strange in a world which boasts of thriving evangelical churches and more, this is in the States, uh, these are outdated numbers. This was like 50 years ago. More than 50 million persons who identify themselves as being born-again Christians. That American church leaders have had very little to say about certain of these issues. He says it's very interesting that in a, uh, a country full of injustice, especially the city, where there's so many issues of mental illness and um, wealth disparity and um, people who are being exploited, he says it's very interesting that we just don't talk about this. And Micah is here saying, we need to talk about it. If anybody's got to care about it, it's God's people. Uh, now, Micah doesn't give us the answers. He, he does. He says, again, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with a God. I don't know what that looks like, but I know God's, God's saying, we've got to care. He cares, and we've got to care. We've got to pray about this, guy. We've got to notice it. When it happens, we've got to do our part to, to call it out, to speak out against it. Uh, together with other churches in the city and other ministries in the city, we got to play our role in saying, like, man, this, I care about this. This matters to God. We can't just walk by. God cares. God doesn't ask them to do anything new here. What Micah says when he says, uh, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God, he's just repeating Moses' law, saying, love your neighbor. Like, all that God commanded, that's what God has called us to do. God calls us to issues of justice and poverty, and we should too. Brent, I would ask you, would you pray about this? I mean, next time you pass somebody who, and you don't know, you know, like how to solve the issue or whatever, would you pray? Would you just ask God to give you a heart? God, help me to care for the issues that I see. When you pass an encampment, does anybody here have an opinion about encampments? Anybody not have an opinion about encampments here? We all do, right? Would you just say, God, Help me not just to judge. Help me to care. Like, nobody was born saying, hopefully one day I live in a cold climate in a tent. No. Are encampments a problem? We're not going to debate that here today. But 
God calls us to do more than pass judgment. God calls us to care. God calls us to actually care for those who might be exploited, those who are, and I could go on about the issues, those who are being forced to their condos uh, because their landlord is kicking them out illegally. God cares about that. God cares about those who are being fired without cause. Let's care about those two. Number two, God cares, and this is scary, God judges. This shouldn't be a surprise to you, right? Like last week, Amos was full of judgment, and I hesitate to go here today. The reason I have to go here today is because uh, Micah goes here. What does God do for people who practice injustice? God judges. And it's a preview. Uh, when Micah wrote this, it was right on the cusp of Israel being sent into exile. So you remember uh, God said, I'm going to give you the land, nation of Israel. You're going to be settled in it. Nobody's going to bother you. Uh, it's going to be your land. It's like your inheritance forever. And you read Moses, and Moses said, except, like, if you dishonor God, the nation's going to vomit you out. So it's like, you know when you eat something bad, and you vomit, and then you feel so much better? You know that feeling? You're like, you're feeling so sick, and then you throw up, and it's like, I just feel like I've been cured, because whatever it is that was causing you to, like, rotten in your stomach is gone now. God says, basically, that's what's going to happen with the land. It's going to be like, it's going to be so sick of you, you're going to be rotten, and it's going to vomit you out. It's going to be like, I feel so much better now that this evil is gone. And here, like Micah comes along just at the verge of Israel being vomited from the land. And he speaks to them. He says in chapter 1, verse 6, I will, this is God speaking, I will make Samaria, which is Israel's capital, a heap in the open country. The capital city is going to be like, a, a, if you go to Israel today, you see heaps. They're called tells, uh, like Tel Aviv. Uh, one time was like uh, basically just a hill, uh, the hill of Aviv that was built over ruins. I'm going to make it a ruin. Samaria's going to be a ruin, a place for planting vineyards. I'm going to make Liberty Village a place for vineyards. You're like looking around its buildings. What are you talking about? No. It's like God saying, I'm going to tear everything down. It's going to be like country again. I will pour her stones into the valley. I will uncover her foundations. And then he says, verses 15 to 16, I will bring a conqueror to you. Inhabitants of Merisha, the glory of Israel, shall come to Abdalim. Uh, make yourselves bald, nothing wrong with that. Cut off your hair. The children of your delight, make yourselves as bald as the eagle. Okay, I get the baldness part. For you shall, um, they shall go to you from ex into exile. What he's saying here is, God's coming in judgment. Uh, this is such a problem that I'm going to expel the people. Uh, later on, in a few years, this is Israel going into exile. Later, Judah is going to go into exile. But all of this to say, friends, God cares. I really feel like God is judging the church right now. You ask me what's happening in the States. Uh, it's an epidemic of pastors being caught in, uh, first it was sexual failure and they're resigning. Uh, and that's still happening. But it's pastors caught in power and corruption scandals and they're resigning. If you watch the news, uh, the Southern Baptists just got together. I have a lot of Southern Baptist friends. I know a lot of really good Southern Baptist people, but there's problems as well. And God is rooting out the problems. There's, the majority of Southern Baptists are amazing, but there's been some, and it's all over the news. The Southern Baptists meet now and you hear of, what's happening? Well, God is saying, even I will not spare my people. I will not spare my pastors. I will not spare anybody. When you start distorting my word, when you start disobeying me, 
don't think I'm not going to judge. I'm going to expose it. It's going to come to the surface. And it's, it, don't ever presume on my mercy, he says. Stephanie's had us read the Bible quickly a couple times. The one thing, uh, when I've done it a couple times, both times it stood out to me, and it didn't really stand out to me as much when I read it slowly. But when I read it quickly, I'm so grateful Steffi had us do this. One time I finished reading it, and I said, you know the message of a good chunk of the Bible? Don't mess with God. You read the Bible, and you see God is not to be trifled with. God does not take evil lightly. God wants wrong rebuked, and even among God's people, he will ensure that judgment comes. Just because we're in church doesn't mean we're exempted. It actually means that we're liable to greater judgment. And do you know who's the most liable in this room tonight, by the way? James says that those who teach will be held to stricter standard. I've always, one of my friends says, we're going to get to heaven. I just crossed the border yesterday, and I'm always terrified of, like, go over to secondary inspection where they open your car, they lift out the mats, they look in the, under the seats. What James is saying there is pastors are probably going to be in secondary inspection. You're going to be breezing through the border gates of heaven, and it'll be like, what's Daryl over there? Like, how come he was pulled over there, right? God does not, he judges his people. Why? Is it because God is ju judgmental? No, because God cares about justice. God does not turn a blind eye when we do injustice. Uh, sin is so serious. The reality of sin is severe. It's actually because God is loving that God takes sin so seriously. Because God is just. Every sin we commit is a personal affront to God. It's a rebellion against his authority. It's a refusal of his wisdom or rejection of his love. God takes seriously when we misuse people and he will judge and so all of this to say, friends, God cares. Uh, last night we had dinner with friends in London and we were talking about this court case that I mentioned earlier. And he said, I just want justice to be done. And then we talked about that and we said, you know, the problem is justice is never done. And we brought up a, a few criminal cases. And at the end of one of them, somebody stood up and said, well, at least justice was done. The person was convicted. And then we got talking and they said, but it wasn't done. Like, nothing can bring back the victim. Like, the, the thing has not been righted yet. Like, in this world, justice is never done. God cares about justice. Justice will be done. Every wrong will be righted. And God help us if we're part of the problem. God help us if we're part of perpetuating evil against people who can't defend themselves. And so, Micah turns to God's people. And I said I wouldn't belabor this, because I don't like this part. God is saying, God judges. God judges even as people because God cares for justice. Here's the part I do like. Here's the third thing that Micah says. I like it a lot. God will restore. God cares. God judges. And here's the message. God will restore. Okay, so remember, when does Micah come along? Right when Israel's about to be carted off. And Micah's there like, you guys are evil, you guys are perverting justice, you guys are taking advantage of the poor, you're robbing people, you're corrupting, like your courts are corrupt, your pastors are corrupt, the, everything's corrupt. And you're listening to Micah going like, do you have anything good to say? Like, everything you're saying is true, but is there any note of hope here? Or is it all judgment? Like, we're doomed. It would have been hard to be a prophet. And I'm so grateful that Micah, although he said very hard things, 
The thing that you realize as you read the book of Micah is you see hope. Did you like the, do you remember the passage that Julius read tonight? It is amazing. I challenge you as you read Micah, camp in the notes of hope. And if you ever feel discouraged, Micah is full of hope for hopeless people who've blown it. People who feel the heaviness of their sins and the, um, the reality of God's judgment. So here, some, let me just give you some examples. Remember God's judging them? Listen to what God says to them. I will surely assemble you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. The remnant means basically like everything's been scattered, everyone's gone away, like nobody's left, they've all been taken. And he's like, I'll collect you again. I'm just not going to scatter you. I'm coming for you. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like flock in a pasture, a noisy multitude of men. That's kind of a, I don't like the, like the, the noisy multitude. I liked it until he got to that part, right? But he's basically saying, if you picture, like, if you, we went on a, the Alpha retreat to uh, the country, and we saw some sheep that were in a pen, and somebody gathered food, and they went, and we were all, like, city folk with our phones, like, you know, like sheep, like, look, and they were like, <laughs> except really louder. And what he's saying is there, like, the sheep are going to be scattered. God's going to gather them together, and we'll be finally in a pen in safety, and we'll all be like, <laughs> you know, and it'll be like, God's like, it's going to be good, because they're going to be secure again. I'm going to look after them. It's going to be amazing. That's Micah 2, verse 12. In the midst of judgment, God's like, I'm not done with you yet. I take justice very seriously. I'm going to judge you but I'm going to gather you again, and it's going to be good. Uh, this is a part that Julius read. It shall this is our future, friends. This is coming. It shall come to pass in the latter days that at the mountain of the house of the Lord, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It's going to be lifted as above the hills. Peoples shall flow to it. We'll be all like coming to where God lives and saying, teach us. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob, teach us his ways that we might walk in his paths. There'll be a day when the whole world walks to God and says, we need you. At that time, Israel was about to be defeated and carried away. And Judah was uh, just a little bit behind, a few years behind. And Micah says, there's going to be a day when you guys are at the center of the world, that everyone comes flowing to you. They're not going to come to you to cart you away. They're going to come to you because they want God. There's going to be a day, I love that, where they're going to take um, weapons of war and they're going to turn them into farming instruments. You know, we're going to take, uh, this, this past week, the States uh, is getting rid of their last chemical weapons, mustard gas and everything. There's going to be a day where we're like, what can we do with these cluster bombs? Like, how can we turn them into, like, could we make them into art? Could we make them into something that we can... He says, there will be a day when that will be the whole earth the restoration of the whole earth. Micah 5, 2, again, you know these, if you've been to church, you probably know these words. You, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth me, uh, for me, one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Here he's saying, I'm going to send a savior. He's going to come from Bethlehem. He's actually, uh, this is Jesus. We read this at Christmas. Micah gives us amazing details looking to the restoration that will come through Jesus who comes to heal his people. And it, I could go on and on. I'm just giving you a few examples. What a word of 
hope. Like, is God done with you yet? Is God done with his church? His disappointing, sometimes, church? Is God done with us? No. Will God judge us when we get it wrong? Yeah. Like, if, if I make a mess of my life, I dishonor God, I do stupid things, I sin, I disqualify myself from ministry, will I be judged by God? Yes. Will God be done with me? No. He will never be done with you or with me. God is, at the same time, a holy God, a just God, and a merciful God, a God of restoration, a God of hope. Well, why? I want to draw your attention to the last few verses of Micah 7, uh, last few verses of the whole book. And he says this, Micah gives us two reasons to hope. And here's the first reason you can take this to bank, the bank. Why can you hope even though we keep messing up? One reason to keep hoping is God's character. Verses 18 and 19 of chapter 7. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression, and the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. What is God like? In my house, I have a reputation. Uh, hopefully, it's mostly joking. But I remember things that were done years ago. And in the heat of the moment, uh, when we're have, usually when we're teasing each other, I'll bring up some events. So years ago, Char, um, as an example, like she was late for my birthday party one year because she was working so hard. And every year, it comes up in a moment of teasing, never serious. Like, remember that year where you didn't show up for my birthday party? And the question Micah says is, is God like that? Does God like poke and tease and say, you remember that? Who is a pardoning God like you? Micah says. God is not like that. God does not drag up your past. God does not stay angry about things that you did. He will again have compassion on you. I love that again. It's not like God will have compassion on you once and twice and then say, I'm kind of reaching my limit. God is compassionate to the nth degree. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He casts our sins into the depths of the sea. What is God like? It is in God's nature to forgive. It's in God's nature to welcome you. It's in God's nature to restore you. I don't know how many times I've messed up. I don't know how many times you've messed up. Will God have you back? Yes. Will God ever get tired of you? No. Will God, I mean, yes, if you, if you reject his mercy, eventually he will say, if you keep rejecting my mercy, okay, I won't force it on you, but will God keep giving you chances to receive his mercy? Yes. Friends, receive his mercy today. He is a pardoning God. As Moses said, or as God revealed to Moses, he is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Praise God for Jesus. Praise God for Jesus forgiving us, and praise God for his restoration. He that he forgives iniquity and transgressions of sin. Turn to him today. He is our hope. If you ever wonder if it's in God's nature to forgive you, wonder no longer. God, it is God's care to, for, to forgive. There's other reason to hope. It's verses Micah 7.20. And it's actually God's promises. So not only is it God's character, but God has promised. And so you can come to God when you've screwed up. You can come to God and say, I've got two reasons why you need to forgive me. One is your character and one is your promises. And God, God swears, I will not violate my character. I will not, keep, I will not break my promises. And what is the promise? 
You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. You have sworn to your fathers from the days of old. Again, Shara and I tease each other, right? Like, no refunds. There's no refunds at this point. Like, you're stuck with me at this point. And God looks at us and says, yeah, there's no refunds. I've chosen you. I promised to Abraham and Jacob. There's no going back. Like, once I promised, that promise is unbreakable. I will keep my promises to my people. Once I swore to you that I would choose you and love you and forgive you, there is no going back on that. Well, God, what about if I mess up? Oh, no, no, don't make any mistake. I will judge sin. I, you, you will face my discipline, but I will never turn my back on you. You keep coming back, I will receive you because of both my character and my promises. Friends, there's no God like God. No one else offers grace instead of judgment. There's no one like God who forgives sins with such patience, who shows such mercy. And Micah looks forward to a time when God's people would turn in repentance to him and find forgiveness and pardon. I didn't know that Steffi was going to, when I wrote the sermon, uh, it was before Steffi uh, picked the songs. And then we sang it um, this afternoon, and I love it. The message of Micah is this. What patience would wait as we constantly roam, what father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. God cares about issues of injustice, and God will judge sin. But God will also pardon those who turn to him. What a God and what a hope. So Lord, help us to care about the things that you care about. Help us not to be complicit with um, sin. Lord, help us not to participate in racism. Uh, help us not to participate in exp uh, exploiting and taking advantage of the poor. Um, help us, Lord, to recognize ways that we are careless or even that we participate in systems of injustice. Lord, help us to realize that you take all of this very seriously. Lord, more than that, I pray that you would not just help us to avoid uh, issues of inequity and injustice. And those are loaded words, Lord, in these, I know in these um, day, I'm not talking about uh, leftist ideas or, or the rights ideas. I'm talking about biblical ideas of injustice. Lord, help us to not just uh, not partake in them, but help us to actually be part of the solution. Lord, help us as we encounter situations at work uh, or situations in our lives, help us to actually be part of the solution. Lord, help us to be part of ministries like International Justice Mission, whose theme verse comes from Micah. Help us to uh, participate in ministries that help rescue people from sex trafficking and who stand up for issues of justice. Lord, help us to turn away from our sins and find our hope in you. But Lord, we thank you. Who is a pardoning God like you? Who is like you that is so free with their grace, who's so willing to pardon our sins? And so, Lord, we praise you that you welcome the weakest, the vilest, the poor. You're not done with this world. You're not done with us. Lord, you will gather us again as weak as we are. You will restore us. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. I pray everyone here would trust in Jesus, experience that hope, that we would make that uh, your character and your promises our final appeal, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.